So Acts chapter 2 at verse 42. They, that's the believers, uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets 
and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, on the back side of the service sheet, there are some headings which will help us. Let me pray, though, for God's help that He will speak to us from His Word. Our Father, there's great stuff here for us to learn that we might be certain as to what we should believe and certain as to what we should be saying. Give us that certainty, we ask, and speak to us, living God, from Your words. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, as I said, there are four headings to help us. Before that, though, let me just quickly uh, reorientate us in the book of uh, Acts. Uh, The first big section in Acts, just turn back to the beginning of the book in your Bibles, chapter 1, verses 1 to 26. Uh, What Luke wants to uh, give us certainty about in that opening section is that the the authentic message about Jesus, witnessed by his apostles, will go to the nations through his Spirit's uh, power. And the pictures that you saw on the screen are a great visual uh, proof that that promise is true 2,000 years on. So that's the opening section. God wants his authentic message about Jesus to go to the nations through the Spirit's power. The second big section, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41, what Luke wants us to be certain about is that the crucified and risen Jesus is God's King who pours out His Spirit in these last days so that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be offered in His name. The coming of the Holy Spirit is evidence that uh, Jesus is at work still from glory in the world through the speaking of His message of forgiveness and the forgiveness uh, forgiveness, uh, of sins. Now, the next big section in Acts uh, really is a big one. And it goes from chapter 2, where we began uh, to read, chapter 2, verse 42, all the way, just flick forward, to chapter 4 and verse 31. And you can see as you flick between these pages, uh, you can't flick on a phone, can you? It's much better having a paper Bible. As you flick between the pages, that's just an oldie speaking, Um, you'll see it's a defined section. So look at the bookend on the left, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That describes the impact of spirit-empowered witness. And you see that little description there. 
And if you go forward to chapter, uh, uh, the other end, chapter uh, 4, verses uh, 32 to 37, you'll see a very similar description of the impact of uh, Spirit-empowered witness. And our section is, is from the first of these little summary sections through to the end of uh, chapter 4, verse 31. So that's the section in Luke's narrative, and uh, it's one study in the small groups. We're going to take it in two on Sundays, but one study in the small groups. Let me give you the big watchword again, certainty. Certainty about what in this section from 242 to 431? Certainty, and this is so important, that salvation is found only in the name of the risen King Jesus. I mean, that really is a big deal and so important that we get that clear. Salvation is only found in the name of the risen King Jesus. So keep witnessing about Him and Him alone, despite opposition, whatever period you happen to land in history, emboldened by the Spirit. Now, we're going to split the uh, section in two today, chapter 2, verse 42, to chapter 4, verse uh, 4. Now, that's by way of navigation. Let's uh, uh, pick up uh, the first point, proof that the apostles' message is the real thing, uh, transformed uh, community. Now, let me just uh, uh, pause there just for a moment. In these early chapters of Acts, Luke the writer is saying to us again and again and again that the message we are to speak is the apostles' message about Jesus. And that's so important. The apostles' message about Jesus. Now, what exactly do we mean by the apostles' message about Jesus? Well, the apostles' message is the authentic message of Jesus. Why? Because they had a special role, a special designation. They were appointed and anointed by Jesus to speak his message and in time to write it down in the pages of the New Testament. Our responsibility is to speak the apostles' message about Jesus because that is the authentic message of Jesus. So whenever time we say the words of the creed, we affirm our belief in and part in the apostolic church. And what that means is that a living church, a true biblical church, is one that bases its ministry on the apostles' teaching and proclaims or speaks the apostles' message, which is the authentic message of Jesus. Now, of course, when you do that, you don't keep adding the phrase, the apostles' message about Jesus. But it is their message that we speak. We speak about Jesus, not the apostles, but it's what the apostles said we are to say about Jesus, because Jesus gave them a special designation to tell us what to say. It's very important. 
that we're not at liberty to change their message. Because God does not give to us the unique role the apostles had. I'm not an apostle. And you're not an apostle. And there are no apostles in the church. It was a specific period. And yet, sadly, all through the centuries and still today, people put themselves in a position above the apostles, saying things like, Jesus has given me a new or special revelation. Or that the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is the apostles' message about Jesus, well, Jesus has changed that in some way. Now, amongst many things, the book of Acts is written, and it's absolutely straight on this, to expose such of you as plain wrong. Not to narrow, in a sense, Christ's witness in the world, but to make sure that we know with certainty what it is we are to say. Now, how would you affirm somebody as the person that you really should listen to? How would you do that if you were God? Well, let's look. First point, proof that the apostles' message is the real thing. That little short section, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. What happened then? Immediately the apostles were given this special commission and they started speaking the message about Jesus that Jesus had given them to speak. Extraordinary response. Now just glance up to verse 41 of chapter 2. Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That phrase, his word, equals Peter's message, his sermon, equals the apostles' message about Jesus. Peter had just spoken about God's risen King, pouring out his Spirit in these last days so that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be offered in his name. And what happened? Repentance happened, and forgiveness of sins happened in extraordinary numbers. And that is God in an emphatic way, authenticating the apostles' message about Jesus. It changed lives. It turned lives around. It converted people. And it created a community that the world had never hitherto seen, a community of people at risk to themselves who devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, who loved one another. They devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, verse 42b, but to the fellowship, that means to one another, and to the breaking of bread. Probably that just means eating together, living in community together. Verse 44, 
All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. They loved the word. They loved one another. And verse 47, they loved God, praising God. And verse 47, they loved telling other people about Jesus. So that the Lord, verse 47, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, all of that is Jesus and God, uh, in a sense, uh, giving a, a, a strong, strong divine accreditation that that message, their message about Jesus, is what changes lives. Now, isn't it just hype? That's a good question. Isn't it just a, a kind of mass response to the latest thing? Well, what we're going to get at in the second half of this chapter, or what happened in history, remember this is eyewitness testimony of what happened, and we'll get to that next uh, week, is that very soon that the progress of the gospel that is extraordinary in its impact is going to meet extraordinary opposition. And if it were just a kind of mass response to the latest thing, then that opposition would have scattered it to dust. Because all the might of Rome and all the might of religion opposed the beginnings of the movement of the gospel in the world. But all that happened is that it emboldened these Christians to speak more clearly and with more certainty and more responded. Opposition to the gospel is a hard thing, but it's an authenticating mark. And what did you see behind these pictures? Progress and opposition. 2,000 years on, authentic message. Now, these verses 42 to 47 are recorded primarily as proof that the apostles' message is the real thing. Sometimes they're preached as a kind of prototype of what a church should be like. And I don't think that's primarily why they're there. But if, if this is what happens, or what happened then in extraordinary ways, when the, 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 the real message about Jesus was proclaimed, then we should expect to see these things happen in churches today where the real message of Jesus is proclaimed. So what should you look for in a living church? Is this church alive? It should have conversions. Not in massive numbers. There are no churches or very few churches in the West today where there are massive numbers of conversions, but there should be conversions. Big numbers of conversions are exceptional, but conversion is normal. It's great that next Sunday night, follows this Sunday morning, just to remind us. And that's not because Chalmers is a kind of special church or there are good things happening. Were that not happening, we should be worried. Would it happen more? 
There should be in a living church, moreover, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. Not a kind of... We love the Bible, church, but we love hearing God's voice, church. We love studying the words of those specially accredited to write down the words of Jesus. A church, moreover, that loves one another and that praises God and that holds out that message. Now, let me encourage you that that is what is happening in this church. <laughs> There's a bit of me, because we're kind of British and all that, and at least I am, and you think, well, you shouldn't say that, because that's a bit of boasting, but goodness me, if I can't say that, then we should really, you need a new minister. Should be seeing these things, with all the faults and gremlins, a learning, loving, worshipping, evangelizing community. Now, let me point just one more thing out that's very important. If these are the marks of a living church, how do you foster them? How do you nurture them? How do you create them? How do you create a love for God's words? How do you create a loving community? How do you create a worshiping community? How do you create a, an evangelizing community? Do we look for the latest strategy? Do we look for, uh, and we had wonderful musicians today, how they blessed us? You did. It was great. But what creates that in them? What creates a loving community? A community where the real message of Jesus written down for us by the apostles, is at the very heart of the life of that community. And where in every small group in that community, truth is spoken in love. Now, moving on, second point, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, a sign that authenticates the apostles and their message. Now, this is a kind of double whammy. If the little description of the, the extraordinary impact of their message uh, we've just seen, what we get now is another authentication to them, the apostles, as the ones to whom we should listen to for the message we should speak. Now, there's one little verse in the section in chapter 2 I didn't refer to. It's verse 43. Just glance at that. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Notice exactly what Luke says. It's really important. These miracles were being done through the apostles. Whose miracles were they? They were Jesus' miracles. That's really important. The reigning, exalted Jesus doing miracles through them. Why? For one main reason, to accredit them, to authenticate them as his messengers. Think of it like this. Jesus did miracles to reveal his identity and establish his authority. Jesus did miracles through his apostles 
to reveal their identity as his apostles and establish their authority as the ones who give us the authentic message of Jesus. And here Luke records one of the wonders and signs that were being done through the apostles. Why does he record this one? The healing of this man at the beautiful gate at the temple because it is exactly like a miracle Jesus himself did. If we turn to volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, we would read about Jesus saying to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he did. And Luke in Luke's Gospel records that the crowd were filled with awe at what they saw and then here in Acts. Let's read it, verse 3. Chapter 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked this man to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. It's a mirror of the miracle Jesus did. Jesus did a miracle like this in person to reveal his identity and establish his authority. Jesus did this miracle through the apostles to reveal their identity and establish their um, authority. Which is why Jesus does not do miracles through us. Now, that might sound really straight, direct, black and white. But I assure you, it is none of these things. It is born of an understanding of what the New Testament teaches. I am not an apostle, and you are not an apostle. And there are no apostles in the church after the apostles lived what people refer to as the apostolic era. But really my answer or my directness and my black and whiteness is in all honesty born out of, yes, a biblical understanding, and that's primary, but also years of pastoral ministry, undoing damage, sometimes untold damage of false teaching, false promises, false claims. born of years of pastoral ministry with people who are dying, whose bodies are dying, who are longing for stuff in their lives that they do not have, and you can join the dots up easily, things that they would long for, with a longing that is sometimes so strong that it breaks their hearts, literally, 
and I cannot and I must not sit with them and claim for them what the apostle claimed. Look again at what Peter says and does, the second half of verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. I cannot do that. I should not do that. I am not an apostle. Why shouldn't I do that? Why should I not claim healing for them in Jesus' name? Now, let me just draw a dotted line here. This does not mean that God cannot heal people physically today or give to them what they most desire. Nor does it mean, I think, that to some people God does not give some kind of healing gift. But He does not give to people the right of an apostle to claim miraculous intervention because they are an apostle. We are not in a period of history when Jesus lived on the earth and when the apostles lived on the earth. We are not in a period of history where God determined to, in extraordinary ways, validate and authenticate their ministry that we might be certain that the message of Jesus Christ given to the apostles and through them to us is the authentic gospel that saves. We are not in that period of history. We are living in the period of history where Christ has given His Holy Spirit on the earth so that what Jesus says, repentance and the forgiveness of sins be proclaimed to the nations so that men and women will live for eternity in a new creation where the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped where the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, don't mishear this. Let me give you a practical way to convince you of that. Tonight, as we often do on a Sunday night as elders, we will pray with people who are dying or who are aching in their souls for what they cannot have. And we will ask in faith and in sincerity that if God is so pleased that He will heal them. But we must, must, must accept that God's answer to that prayer may well be that He gives them grace. The Romans 8 kind of grace. Let me give you a parallel. Were I to tell Graham and Catherine when they meet with these guys this time next Sunday to claim for them in Jesus' name that the pressure and difficulties they face will go. It's just the same. That does not mean to say that we ask that it might. Rog gets this spot on in the notes. You'll see that when you study it. Let me quote from the notes. These signs and wonders, like here in Acts 3, are moments of spectacular divine accreditation 
signposts to guarantee the authenticity of the message or the messengers. Here Jesus in heaven repeats a miracle he did in person via the apostles, making the lame walk. Now that the apostolic gospel has been confirmed, we are not promised or told to expect this today. This is not to say, not to say that we can't pray for healing, but we won't claim it as our right Often God will instead answer prayers for perseverance in the groaning of this world, just as he gives boldness amidst opposition rather than take the opposition away. Now, that's real biblical Christianity. Now, moving on, point number three. And let's go back a point and a sub-point. <laughs> That's why God gave us churches to preach this stuff in, where people die. And when you have gospel partners under pressure, it's not theory, it's real. Now, point number three, a sermon that confirms salvation is found only in the name of King Jesus chapter 3, verses 11 to 26. And there's a typical pattern in Acts, a sign followed by a sermon. We got it in chapter 2, a sign, the miraculous events of Pentecost, followed by a sermon. What's going on? Uh, the sermon tells us what's uh, going on. Now, here in chapter 3, Peter's sermon is about Jesus. Why? Because the point he wants to make is that salvation is found only in the name of the risen King Jesus. The key verse in the text of Peter's sermon, it's always good to pick a text out of a sermon, verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name. The title of Peter's sermon, if you had to pick one, by faith in Jesus' name. And all through Peter's sermon, there are references to names. Names of God, names for Jesus. Look with me. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Verse 14, Peter now referring to Jesus, the holy and righteous one. Verse 16, the author of life. Verse 18, his Christ. Verse 20, the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And then notice the connection between the miracle that precedes this and the sermon. Back to the miracle, the apostle Peter healed the man in the name of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 6b, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter knew that the risen King Jesus was performing the miracle through him. The power is Jesus' power. And when it comes to salvation, Peter cannot forgive your sins. No minister can forgive your sins. No Christian can forgive your sins. Only Jesus can forgive your sins. They cannot, no one can offer repentance and forgiveness of sins in their name. Only in His name. The name of Jesus. 
And so Peter here and the apostles always are pointing away from themselves to Jesus. The apostles' message is the authentic message about Jesus. But that's the point. Their message is about Jesus, about the crucified, risen, and reigning Jesus. And repentance and forgiveness of sins offered in his name. And of course, when we speak the apostles' message about Jesus, we're just speaking about Jesus. The key, though, is that we get to how we speak about Jesus through how the apostles speak about Jesus. What do they emphasize? Repentance, the cross the resurrection, the reign, the return of Christ, forgiveness of sins. It is so critical that we get to what we say about Jesus through the apostles. I wonder if you've ever heard this. Somebody says, or somebody writes, Jesus has said this to me, or Jesus has given me this word. No, he's not. If by that you mean something that disagrees with what the apostles said and wrote. If by Jesus has given me this word, you mean that God has laid on me at the end of this sermon a particular verse in Acts or elsewhere that I will share with one of you this afternoon when I meet with you, or God has laid on our hearts as elders something that we will share from the New Testament when we meet with a dying man tonight, that's fine. But were I to meet with that dying man and his wife tonight and say, there are all sorts of ways to be saved. I have no liberty to do that. That's why we open our Bibles up. Because we have certainty that when we speak these words, God speaks and people encounter the living Christ. Now, certainty about lots of things, but here in the sermon from Peter, certainty that there is no other name by which you have been saved. Uh, salvation in Christ uh, alone. We had a debate this week in our staff meeting about when did we last sing uh, in Christ alone. And I think we've probably sung it a million and two times. But uh, we would do uh, pretty well singing that every Sunday. In Christ alone, our hope is found. No other name. There is no other name by which men and women can be saved. How do we know that? How do we know that? That sounds bold and black and white. Surely every world religion will lead you to God because every world religion intersects with the divine. How do we know that Jesus Christ is the only name by which we have, can be saved, because he says it again and again and again. He said it when he lived on the earth. 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He cried it out when he hung on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He reigns in glory. He sends his Holy Spirit into the earth as proof that he reigns and he is working on glory. And that Holy Spirit on the earth is for one thing above all other things. It is to empower a message calling men and women to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. That's how we know. Now, if you think there are lots of ways to God, lots of ways or names through which you can be saved than Christ alone, then let me ask you this. And all that I say this morning that you may feel is hard or harsh or black and white is simply me seeking to be faithful to what the Bible says and because I love you. And because God will ask me, Jesus will ask me, what did you say? Why did you say? What did you say? If you think there are lots of ways to God, let me ask you this. Has Jesus authenticated your ministry, your version of the gospel, your message about how people are saved? Has he done miracles? like this through you to accredit and affirm you as the authoritative voice? Or think of churches. And let's never stand in contradiction or say, but we've got to speak the truth, haven't we? Think of big church movements in parts of the world that say God has given us new revelation. Is that new revelation? being accredited with radical transformation in people's lives? Is that new revelation leading to opposition, or is it leading to no opposition? Because the new gospel is the song of the world. Now, Peter's sermon is addressed to Jews, why is it addressed to Jews? Because the gospel is still in Jerusalem. We're in Acts chapters 1 to 7. It will move out in circles beyond that soon. Peter's sermon begins and ends with uh, Peter. Uh, it's in three parts, unlike my sermon, which is in four. Peter's is better. Uh, verses 12 to 16, verses 21 to 26. Uh, that's part one and part three. It's all about how the Old Testament points to Jesus. If you take Peter's sermon here and Peter's sermon in Acts 2 and you paint all the stuff from the Old Testament about Jesus, you will end up with a perfect portrait of him. Where the crunch of the sermon comes in the middle, verses 17 to 20. Read that with me. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also you rulers, what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, uh, Jesus. Now, that application from Peter's sermon is the application always when the gospel is proclaimed. 
So don't listen to what Peter said then. Listen to Jesus now. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn to the reigning, exalted Jesus and believe on him and you will be forgiven. Let me say it again. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. The times of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord. Receive the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now we end with kind of looking over the wall to next next week or in history five minutes from now. <laughs> what, did, what happened as soon as Peter preached the sermon? Let's read it. This is just as much proof that the apostles' message is the real thing as the radically transformed community. Verses 1 to 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, who gets the last word? What happens when the gospel, the message, the messengers, Jesus are opposed? It does not stop the message being heard and changing people's lives. And very often, opposition is a catalyst to growth. And so, the last word today is chapter 4, verse 4. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 souls. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your living word. Thank you for the certainty that it gives to us. Certainty for the certainty that there is no other name by which people can be saved than the name of Jesus and the message that saves is the apostles' message about Jesus. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Lord, enable us by your Spirit to repent and believe if we have not yet done so. If we have just done so, may times of refreshing flood into our hearts as Jesus Christ takes residence in us by his Spirit, granting us peace that we never, ever knew. And may we as Christians, continue to have certainty that this message is the one that we must proclaim because it is the one message that changes people's lives. Help us to do that by your grace. For Jesus' sake. Amen.